And therein lies the problem, right? There's a certain amount of privilege that makes people think that their opinion always matters or that it's always a good time to speak up. And there's a certain amount of lack of privilege that might make someone feel insecure about voicing their opinion, right? everyone this is alex and this is m welcome to the latest episode of the good the bad the basic this is the podcast for tv lovers movie buffs and binge watchers of all ages on this podcast we'll be discussing what we loved what we hated and what's just a bit problematic about the tv and movies that we're addicted to and do a bit of rewriting where necessary for much more exclusive content become a show producer over on patreon and get access to after-the-episode outtakes, curated playlists, movie reviews, music video retrospectives, and so much more. Join the GBB family at patreon.com forward slash good, bad, basic. Today we're discussing NBC's college sitcom, A Different World. A spinoff of the critically acclaimed Cosby show, the series began by following the Cosby's second eldest daughter, the aimless Denise Huxtable, as she started her journey of higher education at Hillman College, a fictitious amalgam of Spelman and Morehouse College. This sitcom chronicling the HBCU experience was much needed and hadn't been attempted before or since. So what do we think made this series so enjoyable? Well, stay tuned. Alright everyone, here are some critical details about A Different World. The series is classified as a sitcom. It was created by William H. Cosby Jr. It is a spinoff of The Cosby Show. It was released from September 24th, 1987 through July 9th, 1993 on the NBC network for a total of six seasons and 144 episodes. The series stars Jasmine Guy as Whitley Gilbert. Kadeem Hardison as Wayne Cleophis, Dwayne Cleophis Wayne, uh, Daryl M. Bell as Ronald Marlon Johnson, a.k.a. Ron. He's Dwayne's best friend. Charnel Brown as Kimberly Reese. She is a pre-med student and Whitley's roommate. Cree Summer as Winifred Brooks, a.k.a. Freddie, Kim's best friend and an eventual law student. Don Lewis as Jaleesa Vincent, later Jaleesa Vincent Taylor. She is an older college student who begins season one at the ripe old age of 28. Sinbad as Walter Oakes. He is a college basketball coach. Lou Myers as Vernon Gaines. He is the manager of the campus eatery. Glenn Terman as Colonel Bradford Taylor, Jaleesa's eventual husband. Uh, Lisa Bonet as Denise Huxtable. She is our season one protagonist and she has a guest appearance in season three. Um, Ajay Sanders as uh, Gina DeVoe. She's a recurring character in seasons four and five and a main character in season six. Jada Pinkett Smith as Lena James, recurring in season five and a main character in season six. Karen Melina White as Charmaine Taisha Brown, a guest character in season five and a main character in season six. Marissa Tomei as Maggie Lawton in season one. She is a main character. 
Mary Alice as Letitia Bostic, a.k.a. Letty. She is a dorm mother in seasons one and two. And last but not least, Loretta Devine as Stevie Raylan, who is a supporting character in season one. So now we did say up top that the show was supposed to be about Denise Huxtable's journey through college. Um, for those who watch the Cosby show, Denise Huxtable is the Cosby's uh, uh, second eldest daughter, well, second eldest child. They have Sandra, Denise, um, Theo, Vanessa, and then Rudy. And Denise has always kind of been the more flighty kid. She's very creative and clearly very smart, but has no direction and no real ambition. But um, by now, we all know the antics of Bill Cosby, um, how so many women have accused this man of being a, a sexual predator and um, how incredibly controlling he was of the women that he worked with. And Lisa Bonet was no exception. When she got pregnant with her daughter, Zoe Kravitz, um, during the filming of season one of A Different World, he basically annexed her off her own show. And Jasmine Guy replaced her as essentially the protagonist of that show. So that's why the show takes a huge turn. Also, Debbie Allen takes over as executive producer in season two, which is why we get rid of the Maggie character from season one. She wanted to make the show blacker. And honestly, I'm not mad about that particular decision. Like, there's a real colorism thing happening on this show, and it's weird. Like, and it's weird, because I've never heard anybody really talk about it or interrogate that. So it was weird to, like, watch it for the first time and see it so plainly, because I don't have this tense emotional attachment to it, and be like, oh, I guess you guys were like, Okay, like... <laughs> oh, we're definitely going to talk about it um, because um, for me, this was a clear issue that we saw in William Cosby's work before this. Um, the wife and the eldest daughter, Sandra and Denise, of the Cosby show are definitely passing the paper bag test. Period. Period. Um, and which is, like, which, which is fine. I'm not, like, death to light-skinned people, but there is a... It's clear. Like, I don't... Right. And I think my thing is, is that this show is so formative. It's like s pretty much every single big black creator working cites this show as mm -hmm. like the transformative black show for them. And it's and not only this, but like this show means so much to an entire generation of black people. And I have never not once heard anybody talk about the colorism problems on the show and they're so clear like it's mm. so clear but as we mentioned about william cosby and the cosby show and how debbie allen herself could pass the paper bag test and i think the way that the show is structured is really indicative of a particular era that carried on well into the mid-90s i want to say like from from jim crow well into the mid-90s of um, black creatives consistently casting um, lighter skin and biracial black women as the um, love interests on these particular type of shows. Because uh, yeah, a different world had its dark skinned women, but they were never heralded as the prize. And as you said, their stories lacked a lot of development and a lot of depth. 
Yeah, I mean, even the most, to me, like, from Rip, the most interesting character, who is Jaleesa, like, she, Jaleesa, I think, that's correct. Um, the the 26-year-old who, you know, got divorced and is sort of coming back at a later age, uh, she gets, like I said, to me, she's the most interesting. Like, that's very interesting. And they just kind of, like, shove her off. They're just like, oh, you're like a mom, or, like... They kind of put her in this, like, weird, they kind of shove her character off. Like, and it's weird, because she's so interesting, and that actress is really compelling to me. She has a lot of presence. And this is even after Lisa Bonet's character leaves, and, um, or I guess is is fired. And... Mm. Uh, it's weird. It's just weird to me. Um, and then I guess the other roommate that they bring in, the other dark skinned girl, because I guess they see that it looks bad. She's not, you know, she, it's really the other light skinned girl with the red hair that's like there for like comic relief and like to be funnies and stuff. But then mm-hmm. she, and she just kind of comes in to say like a sassy word or two and then leaves. I feel like I don't even know her really. Yeah, there's so much going on on this show, and we're gonna about, we're about to unpack it all. Um, yeah, let's let's start from the top. Um, season one of A Different World was 22 episodes long, and this is one of those rare shows for me where usually when the show makes a radical shift, and we actually just talked about this when we talked about the best years, when a show makes a radical shift from one season to the next, it's usually a shift for the worst. I personally think that in a different world's case, it was a shift for the better. The show still had myriad problems, but those problems had already existed from season one. The problems that I think were fixed from season one to season two is that the show um, simply had more cohesion. I don't think Denise Huxtable character was a good protagonist, and I actually enjoyed the show much more once Denise left. (laughs) We're going to talk about that. Right. It's interesting. (laughs) Watching that for, like, you know... I associate, because, you know, the theme and the titles change in the second season. And that, um... Cause the, yeah, because the, it went from Phoebe Snow singing the song to Aretha Franklin. And Aretha Franklin did the theme from seasons two through five. Right. And then in that that theme in season, the opening theme in season two through, I think, through five or to the end of the show is like when they're in that like super multicolored block stuff. And like, it's kind of, um, and there's kind of sort of this like, uh, like visual illusion thing where like, sometimes there's two of them, right? Like that's the theme that I, I, I had always understood to be iconic. Um, and mm-hmm. that is like the iconic theme, right? Um, and of and, course in season six and boys to men does the theme <laughs> classic. Right. Classic. Classic. <laughs> so when I started watching season one, I was like, what is this opening? <laughs> I was like, I don't know. Is this the right show? It really does feel like a completely different show. It's it, it, everything. The change in protagonists. And I think we can all agree that Whitley and Dwayne become the protagonists in Denise's absence. Um, the protagonists change. The theme changes. The sort of of energy kind of changes. By by the end of season two, we even get rid of the whole dorm mother aspect. Uh, so like the the Letty character is gone. Um, I feel like, I really feel like the, a lot of the changes 
elevated the show because I really don't. Because here's the thing. Denise was such an aimless character that censoring her made the show feel kind of aimless, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's inter- like, and it's interesting, like, it's, it's hard because I think in another context, like a Denise, and I will say this, I think like that Denise character, I think in the context of this show was a bit too like before her time. It was a bit like too ahead of her time. Because mm-hmm. one of the things that I did remark, because you're right, I do think the show stabilizes and feels better when she's gone. But she is like, I will say like the Denise Huxtable type character is definitely like, the protagonist now in like modern college um young adult dramas that sort of i like she is denise very much is like a she's um she's like a rory gilmore or uh um or like a or an elena gilbert just that rich sort of entitled really aimless girl who um is just kind of doing whatever. I mean, I don't know if you're watching Gronish, but honestly, the best B- Denise Huxtable of the modern era is absolutely Zoe Johnson. Um, super aimless, very wealthy family as well. But she, honestly, she's just uh, prettier and better dressed than Denise. It's literally Denise. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and I was about to say, there's like, I felt like I, 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 I really appreciated watching this because I was like, oh, so this is where Gronish is sort of lifting from. Absolutely. Like, because a lot of the beats in the first season, and I think a lot of, um, and then and onward, like I think Gronish is trying trying to replicate a different world in a lot of ways, which I don't, I don't know that they're necessarily, like I don't know that it's necessarily working, but I do see it. <laughs> Oh, it's not, because Gorna shouldn't have the balls to do a lot of things, uh, including but not limited to giving us an HBCU experience, right? Like, just right. Zoe's going to a state college that's, you know, uh, you know, just a, a, a public university open to everyone. And she has this circle of mostly Black friends, but it's not the same. The energy's never going to be the same. And especially what I enjoy about A Different World, especially as the seasons progress, is the sort of conversations that we're having online post-2010 are a lot of the conversations that are being had on the show in the latter seasons about what it is to be black in America. And these are conversations grownish simply can't have because they have a certain demographic of audience that they're scared of alienating. <laughs> right. Gronish, somebody, <laughs> somebody put this, somebody said this to me, uh, or somebody coined this and they're very smart and I love it. So I'm repeating it. But like, um, she said, you know, they're trying to be diverse. They're not trying to be black. Like there's a difference. Absolutely, there's a difference. And the thing about A Different World, too, is A Different World is one of the the, uh, perfect examples of that you can be Black and you can be diverse. I don't feel like there was any character on that show that was monolithic. I don't feel like there was any character on that show that was a caricature or a stereotype. Um, And I don't know why this is so hard (laughs) for modern writers to do. Like, it's difficult. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's really hard for y'all. Like this really is really hard. this is really beating y'all ass. Um, but let's get into season one pilot episode. Denise is um in her um she actually begins her sophomore year at Hilton. So this is how the show started. Um she was in another university first, right? 
And then she transferred to Hillman College, this HBCU. And so the series starts when she begins um, her journey at this HBCU and she moves into Gilbert Hall. If that name sounds familiar, it's because Gilbert Hall is named after Whitley Gilbert's family. Um, a lot of her family members went to the school and they are major financial contributors. Um, she's quintessential, you know, Southern Belle, Black debutante type. But um, Denise Huxtable um, gets roomed with Jaleesa, who's 26 years old and a divorcee. Already an excellent backstory that the show fails to properly develop. So that's gripe number one. And she makes such a fuss about uh, having to room with Jaleesa because she feels they're too different that she ends up being Whitley's um, roommate. And Denise, uh, Whitley, for lack of a better term, is very sadity, very bourgeoisie. Um, she's definitely someone who... I'm Creole, um, not Black. My yeah, ancestor. Yeah. <laughs> now, Whitley isn't Creole. She isn't Creole, but she's definitely... It's that, that energy. Type of, yeah, it's, it, is, it is that same type of energy. And... See, here's my thing. I'm not mad, actually not mad at the casting of the Will Whitley Gilbert character in particular because that very privileged Southern high yellow girl from a wealthy family where everyone's a one-drop baby is very common. She I'm even goes and, and tells us that like her great-great-grandfather was like the first circuit court judge of XYZ County. Um, and I'm like, okay, this is all clicking. <laughs> Same. I was actually, I actually really, I don't hate that character. Like, I, I, well, I don't really hate any characters. Well, that's not true. I do. But, like, I like that character. Or I like the honesty of Whitley. Because, yeah, that, that Hyel girl that has, like, only one, that is completely one drop. That her, you know, her, who's, like, my, my great, great grandfather's, like, French. Or it was, like, some French, like, marquee or something. <laughs> Is right. so, um, uh, is so, and like his old money is is so um prevalent. Is I think we all know that that type of person, and I think I like Whitley in particular because, and I, in something that a different world does with Whitley that I don't think I've seen anybody do since is execute that type of character so well. Absolutely. I think some of the, I mean, honestly, I feel like all of the characters are executed well, even the ones I hated, but I would, I definitely have to give like a special shout out to the Whitley Gilbert character and one of our recurring guest characters, um, her mother, who is played by the one, yes. the only Diane Carroll, best casting ever. Like, but listen, before that was Lynn Whitfield, Diane Carroll was our favorite bougie black mom. <laughs> Let me tell you something. When I, Diane Carroll shows up as her mom, I'm like, yes, bitch, that makes so much sense. <laughs> I was like, listen, if you're trying to convince me that this woman was raised by anybody else, it's not working. <laughs> it's not working. It's not working. Um, yeah, like a different world um never formally addresses, well, I won't say never, but it doesn't directly address the colorism on the show. However, it does directly address uh a lot of the classism. Um, right. And a lot of it is done through the Whitley character because she's not the only one with money. We know Denise comes from a very wealthy family. Right. Um, but but Whitley absolutely thinks that she's above most other people. And she's very proud of that. Right. That does not. She has no. 
there's nothing in her mind that is like, oh, like maybe this is bad, like, or like it's kind of, or um, it's kind of shit, like, or money doesn't make me better than people. It's like, no, 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 money absolutely makes me better than people. Right. So let's talk about one of the one of the major themes of season one. Now, Dwayne Wayne, who honestly I love in every other regard, but Dwayne Wayne is a character who is like neck deep in colorism. Um, he's colorist as hell. Um, so he's a dark oh, skinned yeah. guy, very handsome, very smart. But all of his love interests on the show are a light-skinned woman played by biracial actresses. His first huge crush is on Denise Huxtable. And it's interesting that he has this crush on her um, when she really doesn't have any feelings for him and never really led him to believe otherwise. And it's very clear to the audience that the real chemistry is between him and Whitley. And Whitley makes it clear, like, you know, you're really smart. And there's something weird about you. I can't put my finger on. I kind of like it. But you're too poor for me. Right. And she's not ashamed to say that. She's like, yeah, get your money situation together and I might consider you. And we, mm-hmm. I, I stand a queen who knows what she wants. <laughs> she's like, my parents did not keep the money train rolling for the last four or five generations for me to marry broke. I can't do this. <laughs> can't do it. Can't do this. But their relationship becomes an anchor for the duration of the series. And it's really interesting to watch their ins and outs. Um, By episode two of season one, we are introduced to the Maggie Lawton character. And um, uh, Maggie's a really interesting character. I'm not going to lie. There's nothing wrong with Maggie. There's nothing inherently problematic about Maggie. Um, But... uh, it's, you know, it's just one of those things where she didn't fit the new direction. And so they got rid of her. Um, Dwayne offers to tutor Denise uh, as a way to get close to her. That really doesn't pan out well. And it's in that third episode we're introduced to Ron, uh, who is Wayne's best friend and eventually his roommate as well. Um briefly before we go on i just want to like mentally prepare you guys um patty labelle plays Dwayne's mom and that is also excellent casting <laughs> right oh that yes that is that is also incredible oh, casting um, first of all i didn't know patty could act but she really brings it home here i'm not sure how much of it is acting and how much of it is her actual personality i'm not gonna lie <laughs> but it's really good it's really good um and we kind of see a clash of the classes happening there. Um, we get we kind of get a little transition. We get guest appearances from Keisha Knight Pulliam, who plays the youngest Huxtable um, child, Rudy. So we kind of they kind of remind us of the origins of this story. Um, but for the most part, it's everybody adjusting to and life honestly- on campus. And honestly, I really liked it. Like, I love when, like, Theo comes and, like, we see Rudy. And then there's, like, an episode, like, where we see Vanessa and then, like, Claire. And I I don't know. I like it. (laughs) I like it, too. I really liked it, too. And, like, growing up when I watched the Cosby Cosby show, Vanessa was my always, always my favorite sibling. Right. Um, I was completely obsessed with her. I thought she was the smartest girl in the whole world. Um... And I don't know, I really identified with Vanessa in a really major way. Um, um, 
and looking back, like uh, it's interesting. She wasn't talked about as much as Denise, um, but looking back, apparently a lot of girls identified with Vanessa. It's interesting when you look at things in retrospect. Um, this show was really, really good um, in the first season. I'm not going to lie. Um, but it's one of those things where it feels like I, I can, I honestly, I feel like I can say this with my whole chest. I feel like if season two had gone the route of season one, the show wouldn't have had a third season. Yeah. I mean, yeah, as much as I, as much as I like first season and listen, I think, um, cause my grade for season one is like definitively good, but I do, I do like get that the changes that, that were made were, were definitely necessary. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think all of the problems were addressed. Obviously we both feel that way, <laughs> but a lot of the problems were addressed and I feel like the show was more cohesive. It was more solid. I also th think it became a bit more serious without sacrificing the comedic material, which is a very hard line to walk. Um, it's um, it's not bad at all for a season. It really isn't. Um, but I would only accept this from the first season, if that makes sense. Like you're getting, you're you're trying to figure out what you want to be. You're taking this opportunity to find yourself. This, that, and the third. Um, and the the final the final episode is really re of the season. The episode twenty two is really really interesting because we don't see. Jasmine Guy, we don't see Kadeem Hardison, and they're on every almost every every episode of the show, um, um, before and onward. Um, it's just Denise, um, talking about her grades to her brother, and basically them preparing us for. Uh, Denise couldn't handle college life, so she needs to leave Hillman. Mm -hmm. And and what? Mm, go ahead. No, I was gonna say, and interestingly enough. Like, obviously, there were, like, you know, she's pregnant and Bill Cosby sucks and extenuating circumstances. But that still felt really authentic for the character. It did. I'm not going to lie. It really did feel like some Denise Huxable-ish. <laughs> like, 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 it really did. Like, if anyone was going to flunk out of college, I feel like it would have been Denise. I'm not going to lie. Of all the characters we met in season one, yes, including Ron, <laughs> she's the one who I feel if anyone was going to flunk out of college, it was going to be Denise, point blank, period. Um, we do get a guest appearance from her, um, ironically enough. Um, and I think it's like season three. And um, the Denise character you know, back on the Cosby show, gets married. She gets married to a military man, which nobody saw coming, who already has a daughter. Um, he's a widower. And even that felt kind of right for Denise to do the most unexpected thing possible. Mm -hmm. And uh, we do get a guest appearance from her in season three when uh, Whitley and Dwayne go to visit her. But I think season one was good. You've also given it a good... Um, let's jump into season two. That also had 22 episodes and it was, and man, the change was, was immediate. You could feel it from the, immediate. from the first episode. One last thing about Denise and, and, um, just one thing before you, we go into season two, that just some stuff, some observations, uh, super quick. Uh, it's interesting to me that Denise is also like a legacy. Mm -hmm. 
um, student at Hillman. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's like the like fourth or fifth something generation, and I that was just really interesting and fascinating to me in terms of like her like in terms of how they classed her, and then also it's about a bitch that this a different world had so many biracial light skinned people on it and then like mixed dish had the nerve to be like there were no biracial like heroes for me growing up i'm like are you high like y'all got a whole damn show are you serious That's right all now TV was in the 80s and the 90s oh we can go back to the we can go back to the 50s and 60s for as long as black people have been on tv biracial people have been on tv let's not let's not that's not like I'm just that that got me like a after like I because after I watched the show I'm like that got me a whole new level of y'all ain't shit like y'all are really on some dumb shit right now I, I can't take you seriously it's very annoying it's very disheartening the blatant lies really get me it's the lies for me right. um but season so yeah, two. Like I said, by season two, Debbie Allen has taken over as executive producer. She actually directs a lot of the episodes as well. Um, and we have our the great theme song from Aretha uh, Franklin um, that lasts from seasons two through season five. Um, and um, we meet Colonel Taylor. He is a really tough calculus professor who has a nickname Dr. War. Um, Because he's very tough on his students. But he knows what he's doing. And Colonel Taylor becomes someone formative in Dwayne's life. Because Dwayne eventually goes on to be an engineer, right? Mm -hmm. And he later goes on um, in later seasons to teach the same class. Um, So that character I thought was a good uh, introduction. Uh, the Walter Oaks character who we and and the Ron character who we met in season one become series regulars, and um, this is the first time that we meet um, Kim and Freddie, um, and Kim is one of my favorite characters of all time on this show, and I'm glad that she's a staple uh, to the very end. Um, I really, really, really enjoy this character, and I even love the Glenn uh, Turman's character, um, Colonel Taylor. Um, he's a character that. It's kind of utilized less and less as the series progresses, but I thought a lot of these changes were for the better. And Kim reminds me of so many women in my family. I think that's why I enjoyed her so much. Very clever, very astute, very pretty smile, very hardworking, very, you know, um, like her head is on her shoulders. Like Kim is not one of those people who suffers from like whims and wiles. She's very clear about what she wants and the direction that she's heading in. She's like one of those people who appears to have never suffered from peer pressure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, um, the Ron character being more integrated, I thought was cool too, because he provides a lot of comedic relief, um, for the show. Right. And that was they, one way that I think, oh, go ahead. No, no, I was saying, yeah, they really, with the Ron character, Ron is one of the characters. Ron and I think the other girl with the red hair. Um, Freddie. Freddie really helped to punch up the comedy um, in this season and going forward. Yeah, I agree with that. Now, the thing I found interesting about this, and I realized that even when I was watching this as a child, is that it was very clear that Dwayne was supposed to be like the handsome, smart, studious, serious one. And then like Ron was in the role of the comedic sidekick. And I'd never really seen that before because it was usually the dark skinned or fat friend who was the sidekick. And like, 
the pretty light skinned boy was our like hero. Um, so I, re- I recognized that immediately because I grew up on like 70s sitcoms, like what's happening now and mm-hmm. shows of that nature. So I'd never really seen that before. Um, and I think this is the re- reason why quiet as it's kept a lot of black guys really enjoyed a different world as well. Mm, um, that's an that interesting reversal, observation. That reversal, I'd, I hadn't seen it before. And and so consistently, too. Um, Dwayne was never put in the role of the buffoon. And it's that weird because there's... <laughs> I mean, yeah, like, he's... There's a very... Because he's... And I think it's because the actor, I think, is just naturally comedic. Because there is, like, a real comedic jaunt to him. But, um... But I guess it's but his his comedy his physical comedy is in the vein of like a Will like a a Will Smith versus um like really really buffoonish and and you know Will Smith walks that line of like or in in Will as the character Will on Fresh Prince is mm-hmm. suave right and he's like a a ladies man but still very like goofy and comedic and stuff. Right, right. And I mean, I guess we can, Ron comes close to that class classification. Not exactly a ladies man, but he doesn't do bad when, he doesn't do badly when it comes to dating. Oh, I was um, saying that's Dwayne Wayne, sorry. Yeah, yeah, that's, that that is a Dwayne Wayne character where he's kind of like funny, but he's also um, uh, kind of sexy. And even more so as the series progresses. One of the great things about the Dwayne Wayne character is that as the show progresses, we see him mature in the way of confidence. He's not that same geeky kid who came to Hillman in season one. By season four, I'm like, okay, okay. When did Dwayne get fine? <laughs> like, when did that happen? Um, but yeah, that that kind of role reversal between the best friend and the sidekick was uh, uh, was an interesting one to see. Um, in season two, uh, when the Freddy character comes in, um, she is completely infatuated with Dwayne, similar to the way that he was with Denise. But um, being a woman and having some sense, she realizes he's not interested in her that way, and she doesn't push anything. Um, but they do use um, Dwayne and Freddie's um, friendship to tackle a pretty serious topic pretty early on where um freddie goes on goes out on a date with this guy who's on the basketball team who is a date rapist mm, yeah that was wild that and is they a have wild a, episode they have a really great conversation on this show too between Dwayne and coach walter oaks right mm-hmm. and Dwayne's part of the conversation goes well like I mean, he's not a rapist um, because he's he's thinking about a conversation that he had with 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 uh, I think the guy's name is Dwight, the rapist. Um, and he's like, well, rapists like jump out of bushes and stuff. And like and then and then, you know, Walter's like, no, it doesn't have to happen that way. If a woman says no, that's what it is, period. And that I think that conversation was a really profound one, Look, especially in retrospect. Because a lot of people have made it up in their minds that rapists and rape look a very specific way. And so they have blinders on to anything else that is absolutely sexual assault or coercion or predatory behavior. 
Yes, absolutely. I will say, though, when he breaks up that, when he goes to save, um, I'm going to stop calling her the girl with the red hair. What is this girl's Freddie. name? <laughs> Freddie. Freddie, okay. <laughs> when he, I did, like, lit out, like, a huge guffaw <laughs> when he goes to, like, help save Freddie. Because he goes through, like, the sunroof. <laughs> He literally just, like, is, he comes out of nowhere and he supermans onto this car. <laughs> so if you didn't want people jumping in into your car from above, you shouldn't have gotten a sunroof. I don't know. <laughs> I, don't I mean, know. it just has to be seen to be, like, you're like, oh my gosh, Alex, you're laughing at rape. I'm not, I swear to God, but, like, you have to see this scene. It is, like, so, I mean, it's really serious and it's scary. And then you just see Dwayne Wayne, like, Literally from nowhere. Like, they must have given him some sort of trampoline. Like, he is just supermanning onto this roof. And then he, like, like somehow, like, punches this dude in the eye. And then the dude pulls him. It's just wild. It's, like, incredible. It is wild. And it, I think that's one of the good things about the writing on that episode in particular. Is they, they take this very serious subject matter. I don't think they made light of the subject matter at all, which is good. But yeah. the rescue effort, right? That's when we bring back the comedy. <laughs> I was just like, what? Boy, what is even happening here? What is happening right now? Um, we also deal with uh, Kim, uh, Kim having a pregnancy scare this season. I, that's another very realistic issue um, for a lot of women going to college and you know there's conversations about like um sexual safety and reproductive responsibility this that and the third and i really think that this season we we kind of saw a few characters evolved notably Dwayne, mm-hmm. and we really got to know and love some of the people that are going to be staple characters like ron kim and freddie yeah I mean, definitely, totally agree. And then there's like, and then there's just cool stuff. There are there are highlights, um, story highlights throughout the season that are great. Obviously, something that I think is ubiquitous now, but uh, I'm sure is even and was just as ubiquitous then. Was like, you know, we get a a peek at like Black Greek life, ep- like we get like a Black Greek life episode, which mm-hmm. is always fun and funny and. Um, we get a couple, right? Yeah. Because, we, um, yeah. Freddie wants to be part of the step team, which is like associated with a sorority. And then Ron and Dwayne pledge a fraternity this this season. Yes. Yeah. Um, um, which is, thank you for not being one of those brandings. <laughs> I'm going to brand you like cattle fraternities. <laughs> yeah. Which like, um, I will say, yeah, the what they do, I think their thing is, is like they do like a puppet show for like kids or whatever. That's like involved, which, mm-hmm. which is what I always knew or associated with Black Greeks was that like the philanthropy part or like the community service part was like really serious and intense, and and then we see that like reflected in that episode. Right. Exactly. Um, this season also we um, we start a relationship between Jalisa and Coach Walter Oaks. And I'm not mad at this relationship because, as we said, Jaleesa was 26 last season, so she's about 27 years old now. She's not, you know, a, a little girl fresh out of high school. And Walter's, like, in his early 30s. Like, the age gap isn't ridiculous. Um, but this season, 
she, you know, accepts a dinner invitation from her ex-husband, who's played by Thomas Michael Ford. If you watch Martin, you will remember him. He plays Tommy. Um, and basically, they finally... Um, she finally lets go of the thread of this particular relationship. And, you know, they, she, she, her and Walter really get serious about working on their own relationship, which I thought was interesting. You know, this idea that you have to sever ties from your old life to really get into your new life. Yeah. Which I think is real and, and, and fair. Yeah, I think so. I um, The Mr. Gaines character also um, shows up this season, and he's a character that's going to be like a staple supporting character. Um, I love Mr. Gaines. He's everybody's like wise uncle slash grandpa. And Mr. Gaines is really old and really country, but he always has those pearls, those little nuggets of wisdom, right? <laughs> right, yeah. He's always going to come through with something, something good for you. And, you know, he's fair, he's forthright, he's honest, very salt of the earth. Um, I really enjoyed this character as well. Um, uh, this season, Kim also realizes she's over her head. Um, she's never really had problems, um, you know, managing her work-school-life balance before. But now she's having recurring nightmares about getting too many Bs. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um and Kim is definitely the quintessential, like, type A personality. They could have done so many things with this character, but I actually really, really like what they did. Because more than the stereotype that we see about, like, dark-skinned women on television, I feel like the dark-skinned women that I've known personally, who, especially those who are into um, medicine or nursing, um, are more like Kim, the desire to prove themselves and to achieve certain things is very, very strong. Yeah, I I agree with that. Um, partic- and, it, and the drive comes from just, I mean, different personalities, right? But then I do think in my observation that it, a lot of it is like sort of, well, I'm going to prove that dark-skinned girls aren't A, B, C, D, E, F, G, or whatever. Right, and I will say to the show's credit, um, this is something that, for the most part, is part of Kim's personality. Um, it's never a situation where anybody on the show actually doubts her intellect. Um, in fact, it's very clear that everybody believes that Kim is the smartest person they know. <laughs> right. No, yeah. Um, I'm, just, I'm just saying, no, no, like, no, but- like, internalized, like, sort of under deep, deep, deep stuff. I definitely believe so. And we do get a little bit of backstory on Kim, like... Her parents are working class and her dad is a cop. Um, so if she gets into medical school, she'll, she she will be doing a lot of firsts for her family, right? She doesn't come from a family like Whitley's or Denise's. Her background is more like a Dwayne. Or, or you know, Jalisa, right? With Yeah. Um, just working class parents, you know, who saved and scrimped and sent you to college. <laughs> right. Um... And they have a lot in common in that respect, which is why later on when, you know, Dwayne's mother meets Kim and falls, like, in love with her and is like, you're the one. I can completely understand why she sees so much of her son and herself in Kim. Right. 
No, exactly. Okay. I mean, and that's spot on. You like that's I definitely like I think nail meathead. Um, this season, Whitley gets a job <laughs> for the first time, and it's definitely not the luxurious um, personal assistant, stylist, museum art curator job of her dreams. She gets a job working um, for Mr. Gaines at the pit um, because she uh, hits his car um, and she's afraid to ask her father for the money. Um, because he doesn't, she doesn't want her dad to take her car away. So she's working off the money at the pit, and you know she's bougie and sadity and very annoying at first. But she makes a lot of really, really great suggestions, and they save Mister Gaines a lot of money, and the you know uh, the the profits are pouring in, and this causes a real issue with um, Kim because Kim had been working at the pit for a while and. She was Mr. Gaines's favorite employee, and now Whitley is. And that dynamic is really, really interesting to watch as well. Um, because literally the only reason this was allowed to happen isn't because Whitley's ideas are so unique. Kim had the same ideas. She was mm -hmm. just ever afraid to ever voice them. <laughs> right. She never said them to him. <laughs> right. And the subtext of it is like, is yeah, is really interesting. You're right. That that is that's why I liked that episode a lot because it's like, I mean, and I think it's it, that's part and parcel. Like this is how you write. I think when you want to think about colorism and stuff and how that like manifests in real life, this is a this is a clever. I mean, they don't address necessarily like this is colorist, but like you get that right. Like you you get that right. from the subtext. That's the subtext of it all, is that, like, it's not because Kim isn't... Because we've seen that Kim is very, like, forthright, and she's really smart, and she'll speak up for herself, like, when needed. So it's like, why in this particular situation was she not sort of taken seriously? And, like, it's like, oh, yeah. Right. Right. So Kim you know, is saying to Whitley, well, you're coming in here with all these ideas, and, you know, um, Whitley says rightly, well, if you had these ideas, why didn't you just speak up? And she's like, well, I, and Kim says, well, I didn't think it was my place. And therein lies the problem, right? There's a right. certain amount of privilege that makes people think that their opinion always matters or that it's always a good time to speak up. And there's a certain amount of lack of privilege that might make someone feel insecure about voicing their opinion, right? Right. It's that, I mean, I guess it's that, it's that, um, that fear, right? Whether you have that right. fear or not speaks to, I think your, your privilege or lack thereof. Um, and I, I get that. And like, you get that and it's, it's really smart. Right. This season, also, we celebrate Freddie's 18th birthday because Fred Freddie graduated early. So she actually came to college as a 17 year old. That I thought was an interesting uh, thing to point out, too, because Freddie acts really young. And part of this is because she is young. And the other part of it is because uh, she is kind of sheltered. Um, and the other part of like Freddie's otherness is that this character actually is biracial and she was raised by a white a white mother. Mm -hmm. All of these different aspects of Freddie's identity are going to be explored. But um, this is probably the only show I've ever seen that showed an underage freshman because they're pretty they're not they're not super common, but they're uh, they're a pretty decent sized minority. 
And other shows don't really tackle that, like what it is to be legally still a child in an adult environment. You know, that line between intellect and maturity is one that's rarely discussed. Right. And which Um, we talk about on our Smart Guy episode. So go listen to that. We do. We do. Go listen to that. And this season, we pretty much solidify that Dwayne and Whitley are that couple. Like, it's very clear. I have an interest in you. You have an interest in me. There's going to be more ups and downs down the road. But the show makes it clear that they see these two as a viable couple. That's all we've ever wanted. So season two, good, bad, or basic? Good. It's good. Like you said, like all the season highlights are great. Um, this pulling sort of Whitney, Whitley and Dwayne Wayne into focus is sort of our, is fine to me. Um, it all, it, it jives. And I think the show does a really great job with smoothing out and um, really finding like its voice in this season. So it's, it's a definitively good. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, Season three. So seasons three through six um, have even more episodes. They have 25 episode runs. So it's very clear that this show is a hit. Whatever they did in season two, they did the right thing. Um, We like it. We're here for it. Um, And again, I'm glad they made this this change quickly um, and relatively seamlessly. I'm proud about it. Um... In season three's opener, I think this is one of my favorite season openers, actually. Um, Dwayne and Whitley run into each other on a flight back to school. Um, Dwayne is dressed in a, this like expensive suit. He um, he had a summer internship at a Japanese uh, computer engineering company, Kanishiwa. And... Um, they're sitting with each, next to each other on the plane, and um, and when they get home, get back to school, Whitley kisses Dwayne in front of her entire dorm, which is a big deal for Whitley because she's made it clear in the past that Dwayne's lack of structure and then later on his lack of money was an issue for her so she's claiming this dude in public this is kissing him in front of all her friends is literally the equivalent of posting him on her ig <laughs> that's true that's so true <laughs> like, it's a big and I deal mean, and it's not like and it's a big deal but it's like you know we had there's like an episode last season called like um something about she knows she's in a gilded cage with Diane Carroll and and in that episode Whitley it's Whitley's mom coming and Whitley sort of starts to may starts to question really for the first time whether these things that she's held on to for so long is really like is really good for her or are the things that truly make her happy. So the fact that she now gets to this place with Dwayne it makes sense. It 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 tracks. Yeah. It does. Um, And the Whitley character is allowed to mature as well. I don't think it's as obvious as everyone else's, but you look at Whitley season one and Whitley season six, and she has grown a lot. It's very incremental, which I like, Um, even more so than any other characters, but it's there. Um, uh, Walter is a resident director now. Jaleesa is a resident director now. Um, Everybody's kind of like moving on up, right? Um, right. Uncle Phil is in episode four. 
Yes, it's true. James Avery is in episode four. He's um, not actually Uncle Phil, but it would have been awesome if he was. It really would have been. Ugh, we hate it so much. There's a lot of guest stars, I believe, in this season. Let me let me look through. Uh, Lisa Bonet appears again, and this is pretty early on. Um, Joseph C. Williams, who plays her husband, and Raven Simone, who plays her stepdaughter Olivia. Um, and this is in episode five of 25 so this is really good they did it really early none of this lingering bullshit a lot of shows and movies and just life in general right kind of leave these unspoken questions in the air like what if and there's this really huge question here like what if denise had stayed in hillman because towards the end of her stay it looked like they were teasing something between her and Dwayne. so Dwayne wise drives whitley to new york where her where her father's getting remarried and he plans to, you know, drop in and visit the Huxables and visit Denise, um, you know, in, hopes, in, in the hopes of getting her to return to Hillman. Since he and Whitley, by this point, between season one and season five, they were on some, oh, let's just be friends BS. So he comes over to her house. He meets her husband, assumes that's Theo, and gets the wind knocked out of him when this man says, no, I'm Denise's husband. He's a naval lieutenant. And, um, you know, she he, she finds out that Denise basically met, fell in love with, and married this guy in, like, the span of, like, four months. That's so wild. Denise. That's so Denise. <laughs> So Denise, and she became like in the in the the few months since he's seen her, she's like a whole step. Well, not it's been over a year, but like in the few months since she met this guy, she's like a whole stepmother and a wife, and like doing housewife things, and completely unlike the Denise he thought he knew. But yeah, so he's completely depressed about this. And Whitley's completely depressed about her father's remarriage because her father's pretty much made it clear that, like, new wife, new life. And he's not really checking for her in that way anymore. He doesn't even call his home our home anymore. He calls it my house. You're welcome to my house at any time. That's got to be a blow. That's got to be a blow. I can't imagine what that feels like to feel rejected by your parent well into your 20s. Um, they get caught in a blizzard and they uh, they call for a tow truck and they start making out. And it's like, stop fighting the inevitable, you guys. Right. Like, it's a very, it's a very, for, you know, for 1989 and for a sitcom, it's a very sexy situation. You know, they're in the car and like he's holding her because it's cold because, although I think that's what you're supposed to do when you get stuck in the car, like, for a blizzard or whatever. Because um, you have to eventually turn off the, I don't know, don't ask me. But, like, it's, you know, he's all wrapped, the point is, is that he's all, she's all wrapped up in his arms. And, you know, she's sad because her daddy is like, you know, like you just said. And then they, you know, they kiss. And it's like, yeah, it's hot. It is. It is like I still watch that scene, and I'll tell you what, Jasmine Guy and Kadeem Hardison have excellent chemistry. Excellent chemistry. <laughs> also, people should just use that blocking more. I will say that, like that blocking is really good. Like the, uh, 
and the angle of it just on camera is really really great like because they're in to be to ner- to be a nerd for like three seconds they're they're wrapped up and it's like a and, it, and the shot's pretty close it's like um it's really it's not a medium it's like really tight on them like with just i think the top of his head is cut off in the frame and you really get to see and like that closeness and being that tight in really makes the the scene feel um super intimate and and i think that's part of what makes it work so well i'm going to agree with that yeah i do and i i think the way that all of those scenes on those kind of scenes on the show are filmed are really good anytime like there's a a character or excuse me a, a couple or a potential couple in the room they managed to get some really great sexually charged energy without making it feel vulgar. <laughs> right. Which, which I feel like people don't necessarily know how to do now. Yeah. And it's literally everybody. They did it. They did it with Jaleesa and Walter. They did it with, they do it with Ron and Kim later on. They do it with Ron and Freddie. They do it with Shaza and Freddie. Um, and uh, actually, one of my personal favorites is with Kim and that fine Jamaican doctor. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like every time there's like there's supposed to be like an energy of like even just like heavy flirting, you are you, like you already know the vibes. Um, the show doesn't really like you to keep you guessing on that front. Um, is there any sort of like store other story highlights and and stuff from season three that like you're really into? Yeah, specifically um, from episode eight, where um, Kim and Freddie want to go to Freaknik. Freaknik was like a thing. It was basically uh, Coachella for the black middle class. Yeah. Um, And it was in Atlanta. And Hillman College is in Virginia. And Kim's father, who's a cop, calls her up. Like, she she hasn't even asked this dude yet. He calls her and he tells her specifically, you are expressively forbidden from going to that concert. Don't let me catch you over there. <laughs> Don't let me catch you over there. Now, it needs to be said that the way that a lot of Gen Xers, and this is a Gen X, um, talk about millennials and Gen Z, you would think they were living chaste lives. But I've seen those videos from Freaknik. It's giving me Girls Gone Wild. It's giving me uh, Predators Caught on Film. <laughs> it's giving me It's giving me a lot of things that are not good. Um, he tells her, basically, um, after she defies him, that he's going to transfer her to a school in her, her hometown. So that's an, a cool little face-off that we see. There's an, the following episode, Kim finds out that her father's been shot. Freddie, who is an atheist... Um, has a hard time grappling with the idea that they're praying for uh, Kim's father. See, we get another which guest appearance. Which is really crazy, which is huge to me because I feel like black atheists now are still like a weird thing that we, that people, that that obviously exists, but like we don't talk about for reasons or like can feel like really shocking to some people. Yes, yeah. Yes. I definitely think that blackness is associated with with religious belief and you know depending on what region you're in it's going to be assumed what type, right? Right. Um episode 10 where we get another guest appearance from Diane Carroll is really really good. Um Yes, the Christmas episode, such a good. It's like a little a Christmas carol with Whitley Gilbert. 
Exactly. And I really enjoyed this episode, too, because we got kind of got to see a more vulnerable side of Whitley's mom. This is the first Christmas that she's ever spent alone. And so she's realizing how important it is that she really build this relationship with her daughter or strengthen the relationship with her daughter before it's too late. Um, and we get another appearance from Claire Huxtable. Um, we had seen her last season as well. It's uh, We have a, re- a lot of really, really, really good um, storylines here. Whitley uh, and I believe Dwayne as well graduate this season because they started off as sophomores in the first season, just like Denise. And Whitley's having trouble finding a job after graduation. Oh, episode 20, when they forgot Whitley's 21st birthday. That was yes, the, the 16 Candles episode, but it's really like 21 Candles. That was really also really cute. Which I actually thought was interesting to me, that like, um, you do sort of have, there are, I think there's another one of those types of episodes where like, a different world is like sort of remaking these like really famous like films, but like in a different world. So you can have them. Right. Mm-hmm. I guess for, for black women. Right. Cause, cause that mm-hmm. is the episode. It's like, it is 16 candles, but it's 21 candles. Cause it's like, she's turning 21. And I, I actually thought that was just really interesting. That's all. Yeah, I liked it too. Um, and of course, the last episode, episode 25, where we see the first appearance of Patti LaBelle as Mrs. Wayne. Yeah, so we don't, we rarely see uh, Dwayne's father. Um, we learned in season one that his father is a city bus driver. You don't really get that many days off, but you get a really great paycheck and you get a really great pension and you get insurance and that's kind of a big deal. Right. Because he's able to support a family of three with that money um, and put his son through college and his wife is a homemaker. And that's kind of a big deal. Huge deal. Great, great all around. What are your favorite episodes from season three? Oh, you know, I liked, uh, like I said, I liked Candle, 16, the 16 Candles episode, uh, Jaleesa getting married. Yeah, those are, th- those are the ones that like, for me at least stood out. Oh, and then yeah. like the spring break episodes, which like I just love. I because I think the the getaway part one and part two, because I also just think spring break episodes are quintessential. Yes, I like the spring break episodes. They're quintessential. That's the, the end. Season four, 25 episodes. Whitley is determined to make her relationship with Dwayne kind of stick. Make things official, make them serious, make them permanent. But he's moved on with a woman named Kinu, who is studying at Avery University nearby, and he met her while he was in Japan. And honestly, Whitley set herself up for this. She created the situation. Um, I don't feel bad for what's happening to her because I feel like it's a lesson she needed to learn. Yeah. Yeah, because she thought he was going to sit around waiting for her forever. She did. Um, you know, she did, and she had to and she had to learn her lessons. That's true. That's real. She even tries to make him jealous by going on a date with Ron, which is like, girl, ain't nobody checking for Ron. Mm-hmm. And That's true. Oh, is no oh, I I like Ron. I mean, I like Ron, but nobody likes Ron like that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um um, Freddie's cousin Matthew 
uh, who's white, and he's on her cousin from her mother's side, um, comes to visit. And there's kind of like, I feel like there's a little chemistry between Matthew and uh, Kim. And Kim? Oh. I didn't, I don't know. I didn't see it. I, I remember that episode. I, I don't know. I didn't see it. Are they, were they trying to imply it? And yeah, I, I think it, it, I think it was heavily implied that she liked Matthew, but she wasn't ready to deal with like the pushback of seriously entertaining a white guy. I remember if there, if anything from that episode, I remember thinking like, it was weird that like he was her cousin and like they, I felt like their chemistry was too good. I was like, this is awkward. Oh, you mean between Cousin Matthew and Freddie? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe, girl. I don't know. I was like, this oh. is weird. I don't like this. <laughs> in the way that, like, sometimes... Like, just in the way that sometimes, like, people cast siblings and then there's, like, this weird tension. Like, it's weird. It just it can get weird. It, that, that's how it felt for me on for Cousin Matthew and Freddie. I was like, this is... I don't want this. It was giving you Casey and Derek? Yes, a little bit. Just a <laughs> tiny, tiny bit. <laughs> if you guys don't know what I'm referencing, uh, I'm referencing Casey and Derek from uh, the Canadian uh, sitcom Life with Derek. <laughs> the leads were dating at the time, and it was very obvious in in their not very non-sibling chemistry on screen. <laughs> um. There's an episode where Whitley's father uh, uh, cut off all her credit cards and forced her to live on a budget. That was great. Loved that for listen. Loved that for her. She, it was it was hard for her, and I understood, but also so needed. We also see the first of many appearances from the great Jennifer Lewis as Dean Dorothy Danridge Davenport. <laughs> Yes, yes. Doesn't she look like she runs a school? She lo- she looks and she sounds like she runs a school. <laughs> she really does. She really does. That role was so perfectly cast. Um, um, Ron and Whitley come up with a way to for Whitley to earn extra money by cleaning the apartment and simultaneously, dr- you know, uh, drive him and Kinu apart. Now, the Kinu character, I really felt bad for because Ron knew that she was just a placeholder. Whitley knew that she was just a placeholder, and if he's honest with himself, Dwayne knew that he was just a place she, that she was just a placeholder. But Kinu was really all in. She really liked Dwayne a lot, and she thought there could be something real between them. She did. She did. Um, uh, I didn't see it. Didn't see it, and then it then it didn't happen. Um, oh, you're okay. I know what you're talking. About. Sorry. So, like, I with regards to cousin Freddie's cousin and yeah, and Kim Matthew. Yes, because like later on in. Because I'm sorry, it's all coming back to me. Yes, because later on, because when he's first introduced, I was like, the chemistry is weird. But later on, they do, he and Kim like do kiss in the Valentine's Day episode. Yeah, yeah, with, that's what I was talking about. I'm like, it's oh, clear that they're trying to make something happen. And, you know, props to the show for showing us consistently that Kim got options. <laughs> she's had a boyfriend since she came to Hillman, um, even though she's a very studious person. But when she makes a decision that she makes, especially in the time period, 
that this is happening, I honestly understand it. Yeah, she decides, yeah, she makes like a, and then, yeah, yeah, she makes a choice that she's like, eh, it's a lot to deal with that I'm not necessarily trying to deal with. Right. And listen, I'm not going to be mad at anyone for trying to make their life less complicated. Um, uh, they, Kino and Dwayne break up. Um, there's a discussion on a few things this season that I think are really, really cool. Um, there's a discussion on homelessness. Now, very rarely are people with very callous attitudes towards the homeless ever put on screen, right? Like, I don't care about the homeless. That's their problem. In current media, we're led to believe everybody cares about the plight of the homeless. A Different World was honest enough to show us via the Ron character that a lot of people really don't care. Right. No, that's uh, true. He was just like, not my problem. And the thing is, there's still plenty of, of people like that out there. We just don't see them on TV. We're in an era now where we we televise, at least, that everybody cares. Right. We tried to... Which I don't think is... I mean, or like... And, and I mean, and I guess I would even question that because it's like, I don't necessarily know of any form, like, I can't particularly think of storylines from shows off the top of my head uh, that the storyline was specifically about um, being like, we've got to solve this homelessness problem or like, or stories that were really compassionate to homeless people. Um, Just more so of like, that person, I think, I I mean, I can think of ones that were, like, tried to change, like, the perception of, like, what we think of as homeless, where, like, your friend who's crashing on your couch three times a week is, like, essentially homeless. Like, Sean, when Sean was basically right. homeless, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, what that, like, and what that means, and just because, and how these people, and, like, how homeless people are not, like, as ref- as far removed from you as you would like to think. Um, right. But not yet. I think just more depictions of houselessness and the different types of houselessness, but not necessarily people who care. Because even the Matthews, because we talked about this, right? The Matthews don't give a fuck. <laughs> Sean is like out here. They don't. They don't. And we guys, we're, we're referencing Sean and the Matthews family from Boy Meets World. Also in our throwback season, get into it. Get into um, it. But I think these depictions are really good for several reasons. Uh, I'm watching now, especially with the show Grownish, where everything becomes a movement, and then the movement is completely forgotten about two episodes later. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that. Um, that's just like a reflection of our general culture right now. <laughs> right, and it's really, it's kind of demoralizing. I think they're doing more harm than good, actually. Yeah, and I think that's also just a failing of... And I will say, like, and this is something I think that just drives me general in nuts, and this is just a general note. And this is something that I will say shows, like, Boy Meets World and, like, A Different World and these throwback shows did much better, was that, like, um, specifically referencing Boy Meets World again for a minute, it's that um, Sean's houselessness was, like, an ongoing problem throughout Mm -hmm. the series, right? Yep. There are several points in the series 
in the in the seasons where Sean does not have a place to like he is houseless. He is like he's on he's living on the streets. It's an ongoing problem. And I will say that's like a failure of writing now of like people don't understand that like you you can do this and you can address this issue. But it has to be an ongoing problem for, I think, or you have to make sure you're coming back to it in order to, for it to resonate. Like, it can't just be something you do in an episode and then you're like, okay, we did that. Like, the most, those, those stories are the most effective when they're like a series, when like, it's, it's always coming up, when it becomes, when it's always an obstacle of that character. And, And I think you see that in Boy Meets World where for Sean and homelessness. But I also think you see that like in a different world with like, I think the ideas of class, right. Particularly Mm -hmm. as the show focuses on Whitley, it's like, no, like this class thing and her, this thing with her and like the money thing is an, it's an ongoing problem. And you, and the, the trick is, is how does this problem manifest in different ways? Right. And we also see it particularly in seasons five and six when we're introduced to even more freshmen and sophomores and how they have their own financial difficulties. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have students out here doing hair and cooking food, <laughs> trying to earn money to for their books or whatever. Um, and I think these are better depictions instead of making everything a movement where you're removed from the individual suffering and therefore you're removed from being really personally invested, depictions like this are much more intelligent and much more sincere, at least in my opinion. Right. Yeah. Uh, I agree. I, I wholeheartedly agree. In the Valentine's episode, you know, we get that conclusion with Kim and Matt um, Ron is juggling three dates, including Jacqueline, played by a very young Halle Berry. And um, Jaleesa goes out with uh, Colonel Taylor. They start officially dating on this episode. And that actually, I, I don't like, I don't dislike that match. I do dislike how a real world to Jaleesa character later. But I don't dislike Colonel Taylor and Jaleesa as a couple at all. Yeah, uh, yeah, but I don't, I don't, I don't hate the coupling. I really don't. I think, I think the show was really smart to show that he has a lot of the qualities that she specifically said she wanted from her ex-husband. You know, I want someone honest. I want someone trustworthy. I want someone dependable. I want someone responsible. And Colonel Taylor, as a character, uh, literally epitomizes all of those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He does. Um, and then we meet my least favorite character this season, uh, a sixth year undergrad student who goes by the name of Shaza Zulu, played by Gary (laughs) Dorden. Shaza, Shaza, as much as I dislike the character, is so apropos for a lot of our activists and social justice warriors out here and a lot of people who a lot of the one drop babies speaking on blackness there's actually an episode where kim calls him out where he basically tries to imply that she's not black enough because she doesn't care like he cares and she basically calls him for being like light-skinned and green-eyed and it's like no amount of protesting is going to bring you closer to the black experience than a dark-skinned black woman ever. <laughs> right. Um, 
I mean, just the name alone. <laughs> now we know Shazala Zulu is not his real name. Um, and um, they talk about a book by a a real person, um, the Pygmies and the the female Hotep's um, um, favorite, uh, um, Shahrazad Ali. Um, she was how do I say this? She was basically like Louis Farrakhan for um, black women. She wrote books specifically on black woman femininity. Um, and um, she wrote one of her most popular books was The Black Man's Guide to Understanding the Black Woman, um, which is probably one of the most misogynist books I've ever read in my life. <laughs> um, like straight up and down. It's one of the most misogynist books I've ever read in my life. Um, she is the black pan-African version of all of those authors from the fifties and sixties who were teaching women how to get a man or, you know, teaching men how to understand the mystery of the woman's body or whatever. Um, and her book is actually a really, um, something that's brought up on, in this initial episode, um, where we first m meet him. And this is interesting because this is the beginning of a different world talking about political issues, specifically off campus. Like they talk about um, the Haitian immigrants and the hypocrisy of the wet foot, dry foot law that basically says that if a Cuban comes and they touch land here, they can stay, but that rule doesn't apply to Haitians. Um, this was also uh, the time where Bill Cosby used this platform of a different world to spread the myth that Africans don't like African-Americans. They literally say this on the show. They don't like us over there anyway, so we can't go to Africa. Which is like, it's a bit more complicated than that. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. And they've literally never said, don't come. There's tons of Africans in Ghana, Nigeria, Benin, all over West Africa. It's like, come. Come like, see yeah, the homeland. Just come over. I, come visit. Yeah. I think there's some, there's some, I don't know if it's Benin or if it's Ghana that like, for a time, had like a, had a, like had a policy that like, if you can like like if you do like if you do trace your stuff here like you can like claim citizenship if you would like um so that doesn't particularly make any sense bill cosby yeah and not to mention like liberia is still a thing <laughs> yeah that's still a thing um, so it was weird and it was clearly him trying to um be divisive and basically spearhead the diaspora wars on this show because i know them actors had no idea what he was talking about right. um this season also we get to meet um a we also have uh, like an aids episode i think Yep, episode 19, Tisha Campbell stars as a student named Josie, and Josie has AIDS, and right. she got it from her very first boyfriend, um, whom she had sex with back in high school, and of course, Mr. Gang coming with the receipts, he's the one that has to lay it down, and he's like, she has acquired immune deficiency syndrome, you're a greater threat to her than she is to you. And he has to make this declaration because Josie has a job working at the pit. Mm -hmm. And when people find out that she has AIDS, they don't want her making their food, which is a very real fear that people had in the 90s. And some people still have today. 
Right, but because of like essentially misconceptions and not understanding how the disease is tra- is transferred, right? Right. I mean, there were still people in like especially soap opera actors and film actors who didn't even want to do kissing scenes. Um, most notably Janet Jackson when she did Poetic Justice with Tupac, she insisted on gargling with Listerine in between all of their takes when they were kissing, which is goofy. Is listen, the kids were scared, babes, and the the fear comes from ignorance. Right, it it came from total ignorance. Like it can't, like you can't get AIDS through kissing. You guys don't know what to tell you. Um, so literally everyone would have it at this point. (laughs) I'm sorry, but the way y'all, the way y'all talk about culture and these whole phases, we would all have it by now. I was about to say, and also the way that like y'all have y'all have been moving with this Rona, please. Oh my god, they do not care. <laughs> please. <laughs> like, let's please. We would have honestly all had I, it. I need some of like the 80s and 90s AIDS paranoia transferred to uh 2021 for coronavirus. Corona. For actually though. <laughs> That's what we need. Like we actually need that. Um so yeah, it's in that's it's in this our second appearance of Josie, episode twenty three, that we learn that um, about uh, Josie's diagnosis, um, and you know people are people are acting weird, they're freaking out. Um, um, Kim and Matthew, who are together by now, are. Um, are are kind of separated because she's about to go overseas to study. So their relationship, although it was very short-lived, was one that was being directly challenged by Shaza. And, you know, um, besides pointing out that he's a one-drop baby, rightfully, Kim also points out that he's dating a biracial woman, that his girlfriend, Freddie, is literally a byproduct of an interracial relationship. And this is not the first or the last time someone's going to point out how hypocritical Shaza is. Right, right. Um, and so then the the season ends with... There, with um, Whitley and Dwayne graduating, right? Mm-hmm. And um, leaving Hellman, which is, like, huge. This is also the last time we see Matthew. Him and Kim are done. Um, um I Whitley and, and 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 Dwayne's relationship isn't over yet, but it's gonna go, it's gonna be tested a little bit more after this. Um, what do we think of season four? Good, bad, or basic? Uh, I like it. I think it's pretty good. It's yeah. I think, yeah. It's solid to me, and like like you said, like I think something that they do is like they, it's not serialized, but they do remember like certain sort of storylines, and then they finish them out. I think to, um, to completion really well. We um, need more of that. We do need more of that. One of the characters on Grownish had a baby, and that baby was only a talking point for three episodes. <laughs> like a baby just doesn't, you know, doesn't just like disappear. Um, uh, so that is really great. Um, I like, I, I really like, uh, something I like about, uh, Freddie this season that I feel like maybe they, they've always kind of hinted at, but I think went full in, in some ways that like Freddie is like, like a kind of a hippie. 
Mm-hmm. Like she and they they really sort of firmly establish it when like uh, Freddie's going away present to Whitley is like this crystal that's supposed to like bring good energy. And I was like, yes. <laughs> right. And she it. was raised by a hippie out in the desert in Cal in Arizona. Um, but yeah, she kind of straddles the line between hippie and hotep when she starts dating Shaza. <laughs> <laughs> Which I really loved because I think that's just like First of all, that is Cree Summer. But then, like, also, that's just very big, like, I enjoy, like, the big black hippie energy. Um, that's a vibe. Honestly, also, in Freddie's defense, I can't stand Shaza, but the way that man talks to her and looks at her, I get it. I get it, sis. It's fine. <laughs> like, he, he should probably stop talking, but also, I get it. <laughs> also, I understand. <laughs> I, um, I, I understand. So that was fun. So so yeah, I liked I like season four. What about you? Good, bad, basic. I think season four is good. I'm usually team no new people, but we meet uh, Josie this season, who th- ends up not remaining a character, but I would have liked it if she had. Um, we meet Gina, um, who's played by AJ Sanders, and she's a really bubbly character. It's like big bimbo energy, and I really like it. <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh, I I feel like the characters that were introduced every season were integrated just right. And again, we we get to see more of them as seasons progress. So it's not a thing where I feel completely disconnected from that individual. Um, season five. Season five, season we come five. in and we find... Yeah. Colonel Taylor and Jaleesa have eloped. Um, and Which again, honestly... I I wish we'd have more, like, eloping episodes because I feel there's something about eloping that just feels really sexy to me. Same. Same. Especially for someone like Colonel Taylor. He seems like a very rigid person. So the idea that he would just, like, elope with someone is a very spontaneous action coming from someone like him. Right. Um... This is also the first appearance of Jada Pinkett as Lena. The Lena character is really, really cool. Um, It's essentially the same character that Jada Pinkett plays in Jason's lyric. Let's be honest. Um, (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah, that's true, though. It's it's the same character, but it, it works for her. That very, very small but spunky young lady with a lot of grit, a lot of fight. Um, and Jada Lena has a bunch of side hustles too. Likes um she makes food in her dorm, which is a fire hazard to sell <laughs> for extra money. She does hair in her dorm. She does a lot of things. Um and Dwayne has made up his mind to propose to Whitley. And he asks Ron to get the ring from the jeweler. But being Ron, things go awry. He gets the wrong ring. Um, Dwayne is teaching now. Um, it's his first day as a teacher over at Hillman. Um, and by episode three, the fire hazard of Lena's cooking. Yeah, it, 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 a fire breaks out in the dorm. It's a small, containable fire. But Lena had been making gumbo to earn extra money. And I can't knock the hustle. Also, have you seen some of the food on these meal plans? I would kill, I would kill a baby goat for some <laughs> gumbo. Listen, like, yes, back at Emerson, particularly in Boston, like, if I wanted any sort of, like, decent Jamaican food or, like... Uh, or black or like African food or um, or just bl- any black food in general, you had to go all the way to fucking Roxbury, which was like 
a trek. And uh, also, like, listen, the point is, is like, yes, I, I too. I too. Me too. I understand the struggle. Right. And I mean, listen, we need we need money. Um, this season, we also meet Charmaine Taisha Brown. This is a character that I love. And the actress who plays her is one of my favorites from the 90s. Her career never really popped off. But if there's a, a, a popular 90s black sitcom that existed, she at least guest starred on it. Um, the actress's name is Karen Molina White. And the Charmaine character is literally every character she's ever played on every sitcom. When she played Jazz's wife on Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, same character. <laughs> same energy. <laughs> same energy. Um, the difference is um, Charmaine was the first time she played someone really, really smart. Um, this is also a type A personality similar to Kim, except Charmaine is incredibly aggressive. Um, she likes being right. She likes things done her way. Um, she's very bossy. Um, you know, she's not a yeller. She's not a shouter. But um, Charmaine is a handful. Let's just say that. And um, Charmaine basically uh, easing into relationships with the guys and girls at Hillman is interesting to watch in and of itself. Um this is someone who, looking back, I, I didn't see this at the time, but looking back and knowing what I know about my own ADHD diagnosis and what I know about autism in general, I feel as someone who's definitely coded neurodiverse. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I can see that. Like, there's one scene in particular where she's putting on body lotion on her knees and elbows, and she actually counts how many strokes she's doing. She's like, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Then she moves to the other knee. And I'm like, what the hell is this? Right, right. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's giving me big autistic energy, um, which I've, I haven't really seen that many um, Black women coded in, the, in such a way. Right. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't think, um, even now, I would be... It would I I couldn't tell you I couldn't give you another example of like a a a black woman on TV who's coded as autistic. Yeah, I really couldn't. Couldn't do. And it. a lot of times when when the character like when they say out loud that the character's autistic, a lot of like tropes and stereotypes come in. Right. But it doesn't always look like what people think it looks. And I think Charmaine is a good example of this. She's really smart, but she has a hard time socially. Um, because a lot of people find her personality very abrasive. And it's not like she's trying to be abrasive. She's just very blunt. I don't think she understands a half of the things that she says are inappropriate or rude. I really don't. <laughs> right. No, that's right. Right. Um, we have like a very special racism episode this season. Oh, my God. The one with uh, Charmaine and uh, Terrell. Oh, it's one of the ones with, like, Dean Kane and, like, uh, these, like, the, the white boys and then they get arrested. Yeah. Oh, gosh. We have a lot of very special. This is episode 14 you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. That was a really good episode. Um... There's one later, uh, I don't know if it's in this season or next season, where uh, Terrell and Taisha were, like, walking back from a store 
or and Charmaine were walking back from a store and they were like run off the road by these white guys in a pickup truck. And that was another episode. And then Terrell ends up getting a gun because he's so afraid. Right. We, we have a few of those because the show, you know, needed a little reminder that Hillman is supposed to be in Virginia. <laughs> So. <laughs> <laughs> they need a little reminder there um that this is a, a show set in virginia um so whitley and Dwayne do get engaged and their parents come but um there's there's a lot of there's a lot of animosity in the air and Dwayne is starting to doubt that they should be married. So they break things off. Ah. Dwayne is starting to doubt that they should be married. So they break things off. And Whitley starts dating Byron. Byron Douglas III, specifically. He is a Virginia State Senatorial candidate. Um, Byron is played by Joe Morton, best known as Papa Pope. He ain't been right since Whitley left him at the altar. We're going to talk about it in a minute. <laughs> Um, but the Byron Whitley relationship is actually a really good relationship to watch. Um, a lot of shows sometimes when they're rooting for a specific couple, they will retroactively assassinate somebody's character to make the choice easy for our protagonist, right? Right. But they don't do that with Byron. Byron is a great choice. Dwayne is also a great choice with a lot of not so great history. Um, and she just has to choose between them. Like the show's not going to make the decision um, or, or not going to make the decision easy by trying to paint Byron as the bad guy. Right. Right. And then, and this is the season that like has that, I mean, fa- like the famous, I mean, is, I guess very much in the cultural I guess still um, episode where, you know, Whitley leaves Byron at the altar for Dwayne when, when Diane Carroll stands up and she's like, die, just die. When Dwayne shows up, <laughs> break up the wedding. <laughs> Listen, but she is me. I'd be hella frustrated at that point. <laughs> <laughs> I know because she thought she had fine. She thought she won. That's the because that's the thing. She thought she had finally won. Like she was like, I prayed. And I did all the things, and I, I, you know, I threw the runes. I, <laughs> I went to the 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 witch doctor. I did all the things, and she still could not prevail over Dwayne. And she didn't just leave Byron and run off, you guys. Mm-hmm. Then she and Dwayne step up at the altar for her and Byron's wedding and exchange their vows in front of Byron's friends and family. <laughs> oh my god. It's so ugly. It's so ugly. But that wedding dress, I'm not going to lie. Only Jasmine Guy could make that hideous dress look good. That's it. That's Mm -hmm. all. Um, Oh, you know what was a great episode, though? Was when uh, Whitley found out that, like, her family bought slaves. (laughs) Right. And this, yeah, because Lena basically brought it to her attention that they, like, and that was a thing, and I'm glad that the show covered it. There were freedmen who bought slaves, some of them to work on plantations, and some of them were honestly just, like, buying up their family members, as many as they could find. Right. Um, But I I just liked it because I just, (laughs) it's just the way she responds is so... (laughs) 
<laughs> I feel it's just so appropriate for like her type of person. Like mm-hmm. just like beyond beyond like the character. Cause it's like, yes, sweetheart, like you didn't think that like you had all this old family money from just like nothing, right? <laughs> right. Like, get real with yourself. She has a lot of stars in her eyes when it comes to her family's history. You know, she really believes that all the money they have, they just got it from just like working their way through the mud. You know, started from the bottom. Now we're here. (laughs) (laughs) Right? And it's, and and I guess I particularly like it because it's another episode that sort of calls this colors and thing into, like, context, right? Because the whole thing is that, like, she's talking about, well, you have to, like, she and Kim essentially disagree over um, these, like, these figures of, like, the mammy, right? And and Kim is, like, you know, she's offended, and she's, Kim is offended, she, and it's harmful, and she, and Kim is not with the shits. And, you know, of course, um, uh, Whitley is like, well, it's like, it's your history. Like, you have to embrace it. Like, it's a stereotype. And Whitley can say that because, like, well, she's not really affected by it. (laughs) To the same degree that Kim is, right? Right. And, I mean, I was watching that episode and I still believe to this day it was an issue of two wrongs. Whitley, like you said, has no skin in the game. Of course you can say, oh, we got to respect this history because it's not necessarily your personal history. But by the same token, I hate the erasure of the mammy because that, you know, that big, dark-skinned Black woman literally kept entire Black families alive, right? Through her work as a domestic, through her work as a wet nurse, and Mm -hmm. kept a lot of these white babies from death too, if we're being very honest. And I feel like there's a bit of internalized misogynoir in the shame about the the mammy as well. And the wanting to pretend like the mammy never existed, I think is even more harmful than the mammy caricature. Um, And... I hear what you're saying. And I think it's a matter of like just recontextualizing. And and no one's exactly. ever tried to recontextualize. I, like anybody, right. I will say. I don't think the mammy should be like obviously a caricature or source of jokes. We need to have very honest conversations that a lot of the laws that were made post-reconstruction were made to get black men in jail. We need to have honest conversations that a lot of black men couldn't work and that a lot of black women had to work or even forced to work outside of the home as domestics and that those women kept the entire household running. We can have those conversations without reducing the mammy to a trope, um, without reducing the mammy to a caricature. And I definitely don't think that um, anybody who benefits from colorism needs to be in a position to lead those conversations. (laughs) Right. And And that's what Whitley was doing. She was leading the conversation. Right. And to your point, like, what's his face? The guy who runs the pit, like, does come through with what you're saying. Yeah. Like, when... Mr. Gaines, as always, with the facts. (laughs) (laughs) Miss, like, when Kimber, like, when when him and Kim have a conversation, he's like, listen, like... And, like, granted, he... It's very, like, an after-school special thing. But, like, he does bring that up of, like... She kept black families together. <laughs> like she did like the like like she did the work. Like it's a figure to be respected. And like you said, 
but like you said, it's like Whitley, the Whitleys of the world always want to lead that conversation and they have no business leading that conversation because they do not, they do not um, suffer like the harm of the mammy stereotype in that way. And I definitely see Kim being possibly overly sensitive because I'm sure um, because of her size, because of her skin tone, she's been compared to a mammy, right? In a derogatory fashion. Um, I can, So I can see that, her not really wanting to hear any of it because for her, just that word has a lot of negative uh, connotation and a lot of hurtful memories. But then we see the hypocrisy of Whitley because when her family stuff is um, is exposed by Lena. And I can't, expose isn't really the right word. Lena doesn't expose anything. She brings it specifically to Whitley and only Whitley's attention. Whitley doesn't know how to act. Right. She really she, and she, she wants to keep side. that shit buried. <laughs> yeah, the fact that she takes her side in private too, right? And even in the pri- in private, Whitley like has a meltdown. <laughs> Like, girl, but what happened to the truth and living in your truth and being part of your history, no matter how, <laughs> what happened to all of that? <laughs> no, Whitley's like, where's that a, energy? I was a, <laughs> listen, Whitley's like, I was a, an Egyptian princess. <laughs> mm. Whitley, Whitley wants a hard pivot, hard pivot. Mm. We hate it. 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 Um, so everybody comes through for Byron and Whitley's wedding. And the night before the wedding, Whitley rolls through in typical fuckboy fashion. And he's like, listen, I made a lot of mistakes. You made a lot of mistakes. But I don't know what to do. Um, I guess this is goodbye. And everybody rolls through for Whitley's wedding, you guys. And I mean everybody. Shaza and Freddie come through. Um, Colonel Taylor and Jaleesa come through. And Jaleesa's just had a, a baby by this point as well. She had a baby this season. Um, and... Wayne scoops up talking about, I'm sorry, marry me, please, baby, please. And y'all remember that scene? Um, Honestly, I watch this scene now, and maybe it's because I'm older, I find it less romantic because all I can do is look at Byron's face. (laughs) It's so hurt, you guys. Oh, the pain. Um, This is the last time we are going to see the Jaleesa character. And uh, Colonel Taylor's son as well. Um, so like I said, the character gets railroaded shortly after marrying Colonel Taylor, which I don't like. Um, but this, the end of season five is the beginning of Whitley and Dwayne's married life. So what do you think of season five? Good, bad, or basic? Um, I, I will say it. I'll give it another good. I liked it. Um, although I will say really quick that that mammy episode there the 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 art piece at the end is goofy as shit (laughs) like it's dumb and i hated it i don't even know how i feel about that but um i did (laughs) like the the talk that colonel um not mr gaines had with whitley as well where he's like trying to emphasize to her you know she's fat she's black she's nappy like when people say that they're not talking to you they're usually talking to someone who look like kim Kim, yeah, like, like have a little bit of empathy for your supposed best friend, maybe. <laughs> yeah, and it's and it's never like an it's always derogatory. It's always derogatory. It's never like so. You, says mammy when they mean strong black woman, and honestly, strong black woman is starting to sound derogatory in and of itself. <laughs> I was about to say that's also very precarious. <laughs> like, I don't even know that that is um 
that's that great now either. But like, there is a, yeah, there's like an art piece at the end that is like <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> that to me feels really dumb from the beginning, from beginning to end. But, um, uh, and like goofy as shit. But, uh, but I like, I will say like, I like, that's what I like about fifth season. I, li- I like that they at least have the conversation. They approach mm. that. I like um, a lot of stuff. I love, oh, obviously, this incredible, like, the wedding episode uh, between Whitley and Byron and and Dwayne, which is now, I feel, uh, iconic. Um, the very special racism episode is also, I guess, like, a good time. And... Not, it's not a good time. And then also we get more Diane Carroll, which I always love when she shows up. And, and this time we have Diane Carroll and Patti LaBelle. So it's like Whitley and Twain's yes. moms meet each other. That's incredible. I lived. I lived. Yes. Um, I love the image, the the energy between Whitley and Dwayne's mothers. I actually think some of the best scenes in season six are these two just like clashing consistently always mm-hmm. constantly um <laughs> um they, they there's they're just they're just a really good energy between them um on screen so let's talk about the final season of a different world season six 25 episodes whitley and Dwayne had honeymooned in la at this like right before they came there right before the rodney king riots you guys um which were incited when a bunch of cops were um not indicted for the murder of rodney king and you know a lot of people went looting and rioting um you know as a reaction to the injustice and whitley and Dwayne get caught up in that right so that was a wild way to start it off. Um, Sister Soldier pulls through, and she's kind of very similar to uh, Shahrazad. Lots of internalized misogyny and misogynoir in that one. But she was a very popular figure in the early 90s. Um, she hates Black women. I stand on this. Even in her fiction, she hates her own protagonists. And no more is that no nowhere is that more clear than in her most popular novel, The Coldest Winter Ever. She really hates that protagonist. She wants that girl to suffer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sister Soldier, like, yeah, very popular. Yeah, like you said, popular figure in the '90s, and um, and ha- interesting. Had a resurgence the other day on like uh, Twitter, and I was like, she said one smart thing once, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> like literally. <laughs> and the and that's the clip that they pulled was like the one time she had said like a one like one smart thing. <laughs> right. And I was right. like, okay. <laughs> a broken clock is right twice a day. We don't need to keep relying on that same clock to tell us the time though. And we shouldn't um, because it is broken. <laughs> we shouldn't. Um, um we uh the Terrell characters um come in this season the uh dorian character comes in this season who's going to be a love interest for lena and dean dorothy danridge davenport becomes a main character this season as well as gina and lena they become main characters this season so all of that's good all of that's cool um (laughs) freddie comes back to hillman with a perm 
with a relaxer, yes. y'all. Yes, child. I mean, it's clear from the way that her that her hair is is laying that it was just like, you know, hot combed. I was but, about to say it's probably just a straightener, but still. right. But she comes she comes back to the to campus looking nice and easy, you know, looking dark and lovely, um, <laughs> and um, because she wants to be taken more seriously as a lawyer, right. And Freddie going into law was surprising for about five minutes. And I'm like, it kind of makes sense. She's always been on this injustice this and injustice that from jump. She cares a lot about making a difference in the world and equality or at least the, the ideal of equality. So this actually makes sense for her as a career field. Right. No, yeah, I agree. Um, the Thanksgiving episode is epic to me. <laughs> yes, it is. Faith, Hope, and Charity, part one and part two, is is incredible. Willie really made a dress out of her curtains, you guys. <laughs> Listen, when you're broke. <laughs> and, you know, her mom points this out. She's like, is that made of curtains? It looks like a first communion dress or something. Also, the fact that her mom's new man is, like, a full... <laughs> Is uh, a whole white. <laughs> mm. And they're like, they have the goofiest pet names for each other. The goofiest. The goofiest. Um, it's so incredible. Now, the moms have a lot of animosity. Um, and that's centered around their difference in upbringing, right? Right. And his mom wants to cook the turkey one way, her mom wants to cook the turkey one way. And in this turkey debate, a lot of their resentments for each other that are completely unrelated to food come to the surface. <laughs> right. It's, oh, it's not a good look. It's not a good look at all. This episode, we talk about, uh, there's a, lo- a local uh, protest for Haitian rights. Um, and um, um, Freddie, who has been having an affair with Ron, gets dumped by Shaza. He's like, listen, I know what's going on and I'm not, I don't mess with it. Like, this is not okay. Which I'm really happy that Freddie and Ron get together because I always saw it for them. Right. I would have been too, if Ron weren't dating Kim and they were literally two timing her supposed best friend. This is why we can't have nice things. I never wanted Ron with Kim in the first place. So the way y'all had Ron playing in Kim's face was really upsetting to me. (laughs) It was really upsetting. That's true. Like, and and the thing is, like, Freddie never really gives Kim a real apology. Like, she says she's sorry. But what does that even mean when you're, like, still seeing the guy, you know? And, like, are you sorry about what you did? Or are you sorry you hurt my feelings? Because you're clearly not sorry about what you did. You're still... With the guy. Right, right. <laughs> so that causes a fracture in, in Freddie and Kim's relationship that's honestly never repaired. But by this point, Kim and Whitley have the closer relationship anyway. Right. You're right. So, um, like, I guess it hardly matters. Uh, so then tell us how does, how does season six end? Um, season six, what has a few things before the ending? We meet Freddie's mother for the first time. And um at this point, Shazaz trying to get Freddie back. 
and Freddie has to make a decision and she ultimately chooses to be with Ron. Um, Lena and Dorian, who's a freshman, start dating. Um, and Dorian's played by Bumper Robinson and he, he's been around for a while. Um, he's been on a lot of stuff. He was most recently on The Game, I believe. Mm-hmm. And um, that relationship is like really odd because he is a virgin and he's celibate and he's saving himself for marriage. And this is really hard for Lena. Um, but that relationship, I feel, is a whole puts things in a different angle for her. Um, we get a guest star. We get a guest appearance from Tupac who plays Lena's ex-boyfriend and we see how wildly different he is from Dorian and like the guys, the kind of guys that she grew up with. Right. Um, the racism episode with, uh, Charmaine and Terrell that also happens this season. So the season ends when Dwayne applies for a summer job in Kanishawa and Kinu is the interviewer. Um, he doesn't get the position and he kind of wonders if that was the reason why, but it's, you know, it's later revealed. That's not why this is just his ego talking. And, um, wait, Dwayne gets another job offer. Um, he gets another job offer. He and Whitley are going to be living overseas. They're about to come into some real money, real big money. And Whitley is pregnant. Yeah, ba da 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 Yeah, she's a go go. Right. One of the highlights this season was with the Gina character, and I was surprised they worked this angle in, but I thought this was a great episode to have. I did say Gina has big bimbo energy, and I stand by that. Um, but Gina dates a lot. Everybody knows this, but she had a serious boyfriend this season, and he was abusive. Like, he hit her. And that was discussed and that was dealt with and he was out of the picture. But then he like, he comes slithering back, um, trying to make amends and her friends put a, put an end to that. They squash that. And I think this is a really good conversation to have because this is usually what abusive dynamics look like. They don't stay gone. Like you kind of, you kind of have to keep reinforcing those boundaries and that distance with abusive partners. Yeah. Yeah, definitively. Mm-hmm. So that last episode, we don't see Dwayne and Whitley because they actually leave the episode prior. Um, and, um, you know, they go off. They're living their new life, their new soon-to-be-very-wealthy life. And um, Gina, Lena, Charmaine, Dorian, and Terrell... They are renting an off-campus apartment. They're living together. And, hell, that could have been its own spinoff. But that's how a different world ends. These kids are on their feet. They no longer need Professor Wayne. Um, Whitley is doing well in her career. Wayne's about Dwayne's about to come into some real good money, being an engineer like he always wanted. Um, everyone's... Every, all, all things are good at Hillman. Um, and... Um, not only do, um, Freddie and Ron end up together, but, but my girl Kim meets this gorgeous Jamaican man, um, who's also studying to be a doctor and he proposes to her before the end of season six. So she's about to be Mrs. Rich, fine Jamaican doctor. (laughs) Right. Happy for her. Although (laughs) 
Jamaican. You gotta watch that one. But like, happy for her. <laughs> I'm choosing to believe in the good. Um, yeah, and that's and that's season six. That's that's a different world. So season six is good, better, basic to you. I thought season six was good. Usually, sometimes these uh, these final seasons are kind of lackluster, mm-hmm. but I really mess with season six. Um, gave me just enough of the old people and just enough of the new people to keep things interesting. Same. I agree with that. It's like you said, last seasons are so hard. Um, cause some, they, they're either like tour de forces or they're like, you know, we like, you know, they, they, I think like the writers get like senioritis or something, um, when it comes to them and it shows. And, um, but this isn't, this is neither. It just, it just finished out really well. Um, so yeah, and I I'm putting it at a good too. I liked, I I pretty much liked everything, and I liked all the characters and how everything sort of finished out. Um, so a different world, obviously, like we said, huge, huge cultural influence on on the culture. Uh, I mean, Lena Waithe's company is called Hillman Grad Productions, like for god for god's sake i wanted to go to hillman before i realized it wasn't a real school like i was gonna go to hillman right i was like oh i'm going like this is a um isa ray's cited i think a different world is like one of her big big influences as a creator um so have so many other people uh Obviously now it's t- it's I mean you can't separate it even in the last even in the final seasons or the later seasons the back half which in which I think the show completely I think separated itself from the Cosby show mm-hmm. um there is still a huge chunk of it that is tied to the Cosby name and empire and you I you can never get away from that um but just like And who you hold accountable in that is, like, a good question because there are specific people to hold accountable, but I don't think you, but you cannot hold everybody accountable, obviously. Um, Because, and Malcolm Jamal Warner, like, you know, I think spoke on this really, in a really great way and said, he, he was like, he was like, I didn't know what was going on, like... I just did my job and went home. Um, and I think that's a lot of people. And I'm sure that's a lot of people in the different world that just did their job and went home. Mm-hmm. Um, with no idea of what was happening or what was happening to make that machine turn. Um, I don't want like a different world reboot. I don't think I would. I could see it happening, though. Honestly, I don't want one specifically because i don't think the girls are up to the task same also i don't think the girls are up to the task y'all the way y'all be pandering to these white people it's not giving (laughs) (laughs) it's not and we we simply cannot have this same conversation yes did a different world have a really big colorism problem well i won't say really big but big enough Big enough. Yes, it had a big colorism problem for sure. Yes, it didn't caricaturize or um, degrade its dark skinned characters, particularly the dark skinned women. They weren't reduced to stereotypes. No one was a trope. No one was a joke. And that's good. But the colorism problem remains. However, the the rest 
of the show and the way that it handled myriad very serious topics is an achievement. And we're simply not going to get this caliber if y'all insist on holding white people's hands every step of the way. Or, and it's not even about holding their hands, because I don't feel like a different world was like out here stepping on white people's toes, right? But it's about the fact that y'all want to make them feel included in everything. And you can't have a different world in that context. I would also, and then I would go as far to say, like, I think there's a lot of conversations that could be had. And particularly all the the subtle stuff with the colorism stuff, even when it was addressed, like that mammy that mammy episode, a different world went very easy on black men who mm-hmm. are in positions of power who help to perpetuate these ideas mm-hmm. and enforce them. Um, it kind of held Whitley accountable sometimes when it mm-hmm. felt like, but I do notice that like black men really got off scot free. And I mm-hmm. don't think, and in a newer incarnation, to approach those issues, like, I wouldn't take anybody seriously that didn't make that observation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Personally. Right, there's, there's a lot of problems that existed in a different world as it currently exists that still need to be addressed. We're not going to address those problems if y'all also want to make white people feel included in every episode. And yeah, make them it, feel like, oh, you're one of the good white people, not you, though. <laughs> That's you though. Yeah. And and I and and I guess it goes to your I think what I was trying to get at is about like if you want to hold white people's hands, if you want to like hold black men's hands, if you want to like hold um light skinned women's hands throughout this process and, and tell them how good and beautiful and smart they are, like it's just never gonna work. Never, never, never. Um and a different world is not just a black show. It's a very proudly Black one. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of pride in Black history, specifically Black American history, from start to finish, especially in that back half, right? Right. And a lot of y'all think that Black pride is the same as hating white people, and that's another issue in and of itself. <laughs> right. There, there's always this di- desire to, like I said, to be diverse and not to be Black, I think, in a, in, in our current timeline in our in our current moment um and uh yeah and that's a thing and that's and I think that's if there was a different world reboot which like I said I don't particularly desire although I see it happening um I granted I don't know why it would happen because I feel like we've just had so many shows like it granted none of those shows like approach I don't think have come close um, and this is like, you know, grownish, dear white people is, is feels like it's trying to be like a different world a lot. Um, those shows do not like come close, uh, though, I think to approaching or, or sort of tackling, um, these ideas and thoughts the way a different world did. But, um, I don't, yeah, I'm sorry. Grownish isn't doing it. They're not doing it. It's a completely different show. It's a completely different vibe. Vibe. They don't, they honestly do not know how to sustain any subject matter for longer than an episode. It's not giving. It's, it's not giving. Um, but with, um, hold on. I lost my train of thought. Sorry. Uh, I was saying like a different world and writing it and like what the approach to it would be. Um, oh, I think the only, and I think another thing I would want would be 
the only other thing I'd want, I think, from a different world is to, like, maybe think about, like, the Black diaspora, like, within the U.S. Um, That's the only thing, like, so Black, like, African Americans, and then, but then, like, you know, Nigerians and and uh, Haitians and Jamaicans and like how because we're all sort of in this thing together and a different world didn't quite I think mm-hmm. like like you said they did it badly when they were like Africans hate us when it's like no it's a bit more complicated than that um, <laughs> I mean luckily that was only one episode and honestly I'm not mad at the show for centering specifically black American experiences even I'm mad at the introduction of the diaspora wars and the colorism. If somebody wanted to do this show again and still have a predominantly African-American cast, I wouldn't be mad at it. I wouldn't be mad at it. I I mean, I wouldn't be mad at it. I would just, but I would also feel like it's not, there's an, there's not, there's a lack of honesty to it because I do think Mm -hmm. Like, there are so many. I mean, Issa Rae is one, right? She's, her parents are, or not Issa, yeah, Issa Rae. Her parents are Nigerian. Mm-hmm. She's a first-gen American kid. And she is, um, I don't know, I think she, I don't know if she went to an HBCU or not. I, I don't, I don't remember. But no, I, I hear what you're saying, because a lot of first and second-gen kids are at HBCUs. Us, yeah. And they are intrinsically a part of that experience. And they are... And and they are somewhere, like, they are culturally American, but they are also still, in a lot of ways, culturally, like, Nigerian or Jamaican or Haitian. They just Mm -hmm. are. And I I say that because I am one of those kids. Like, I understand the ways in which I am very Jamaican. And, um, and and it pops up at the most, at the strangest times, but it, when they, when it does pop up, I am very much... Like, oh, yeah. Not like, oh, yeah, but like, yeah, I am. Like, I am. There is a part of me that's not very American. Um, I am very much half. Uh, So, and I think to, I think you have to speak to that, I think, in an honest way. And you should speak to that honestly, because there are so many first or second gen kids who are at these HBCUs. And um, at these HBCUs and uh, learning black American politics for the first time, like in societal class structures for the first time um, in trying to understand them. Because when, because I did not, I was like, I learned this growing up because I, and I think I learned this specifically growing up in the South, but I think if I had been exactly who I am, but like my mom had stayed in New York and then we had moved down here, I don't think I would understand a Whitley Gilbert. Mm-hmm. The way I understand a Whitley Gilbert because I was born and raised because I was raised here, I'd be mm-hmm. like, "This is weird." Like, <laughs> um, yeah. or like, I I wouldn't understand all the subtleties of like or how you're supposed to be, um, and how like you're supposed to be classed and how you have to be classed in a specific way to sort of rise in like black circles, black class structures specifically. Right, Had I been right, born. Right. Yeah, had I been born in Chicago, had I lived and grown up in Chicago or or New York, I I don't think I would have understood that. Oh, yeah. A Whitley Gilbert is definitely a unique Southern experience. (laughs) (laughs) Definitively. (laughs) Like, there's there's Whitley Gilberts all up and through Georgia. 
Alabama, Louisiana. Yeah. Yeah. She becomes very special, I think, when you go to Louisiana. <laughs> oh, yes. Like, uh, there's, a, there's just an extra layer of, of not even internalized, very overt colorism. <laughs> no, overt. They wearing that on their sleeve, loud and proud. They're like, I am better than you <laughs> because I am light-skinned. Right. My great-granddaddy like was had, French. <laughs> we haven't had anyone darker than a paper bag in my family in 12 generations. I'm proud of it. Of it. Like, thank you. And it's like, uh, okay. <laughs> and you can tell that blood runs heavy because... Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I don't want anybody to... I'm not interested in anyone rebooting, um... A different world. Although I'm sure somebody, there's somebody somewhere that's trying to figure out how. There's no doubt in my mind. I'm sure the grownish creators swear up and down that they're that a different world is their inspiration. But baby, I don't see it. There's, I'm sure people are trying to figure out how to make a reboot happen without like infuriating the entire the entirety of like black people in the U.S. or and black people globally, honestly. <laughs> Um, and once they figure it out how, because I, I would imagine that saying that you're going to reboot a different world would go exactly how it went when they made the announcement that they were going to reboot Buffy. Like it's, no one's going to take it well. (laughs) Absolutely. No one is taking it well at all. Um, leave Buffy alone. Y'all for real, for real. Don't do this. (laughs) Like, like when, oh my God, when that was announced, the backlash was so intense. It was so hot. Like, (laughs) Like, to the point where, like, I don't even know if they're doing it anymore. And there you have it, folks. This is everything that we think made a different world good, bad, basic, and very educational. If you'd like to check out this series, A Different World is currently streaming on Amazon Prime, Philo, and HBO Max. If you've enjoyed this episode of The Good, The Bad, The Basic, be sure to share it with your friends. Tune in next week as we keep our off-to-college season going with a discussion on BET's college drama, The Quad. The Quad is currently streaming for free on BET, so get into it. You don't want to miss out on this conversation. The Good, The Bad, The Basic is streaming on all major podcast platforms, so be sure to tune into our regular weekly episodes on the go. Leave us a review on your preferred platform and share our weekly episodes on your social media. Please follow us at The Good, Bad, Basic Pod on Twitter and at Good, Bad, Basic Pod on Instagram to get in on our daily content. Also, be sure to follow our SoundCloud page, The Good, The Bad, The Basic, where all of our episodes debut. If you love this sort of content and want more, become a show producer and patron on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash good, bad, basic. Your support allows us to keep bringing you our regular weekly episodes as well as exclusive bonus material. Until next time. Bye, everyone.